No, we are glad to have everybody. We had a great time last week, and if you haven't had a chance to, uh, if you were here but forgot what, uh, that you were here, Clements, um, or if you had, didn't have a chance to, to tune in uh, to our Facebook Live thing, we put that up there so that you guys can tune in. If you can't get here because of snow or whatever things uh, may be going on in your lives, know that that is up there. You can always go back and re-listen to what's going on. You can also download the podcast on iTunes and Google uh, to go back and re-listen so that you can keep up with what God is doing in our, in our congregation with the body of Christ here in Mountain States. I'm glad for each and every one of you. I really am. I pray for you regularly. As Dave said, if you do have a prayer request or you have a need that's within your family, please fill out that Connect card that's in the bulletin and turn it in because we get a copy of that each and every week um, that goes out to all the deacons and leadership within our church so we can know how better to pray for one another and to lift you up in prayer and to encourage you as the body of Christ. So we really do treasure, and we think that prayer has a vital part in the ministries. And we've been talking about that kind of in our series thing here in Spiritual Habits. We've talked about the first week of the importance of spending time in God's Word. The importance of making the reading of God's Word a vital, active part of your daily life. And I encourage many of you to join us in, the, in one of the Bible readings we're doing in the Version app. And there's several of us that are doing that together or grabbing one of the Bible readings off the back table and making sure it's a part of your daily walk. That's where we're going to find our strength. That's where we're going to find our meat. And then I encourage you to make sure that your prayer life is really beefing up, making up to that next notch. And making sure that you call on Daddy, your Heavenly Father who yearns to hear the words from your mouth, who yearns to spend time with you and going into that secret quiet place and spending time with him. Last week, I know that's why, that's why you all missed, we talked about fasting. And the importance that fasting is in our lives, really as a believer, we have three prongs. I'm going to look at this wrong, but if you've got Bible reading and prayer is two of the prongs, Fasting is really the unused third prong in our lives for plugging into the power of God in our lives. It's very unused. It's un, un what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I got a brain gap. We don't understand it, and because we don't understand it, we don't try to implement it into our lives. And so I, I try to encourage everybody to try to find time in their lives for the next month to find to take a day of fasting where you are focusing on God in your life and you're taking time away from food, taking time away from uh, something else in your life and you are really focusing on letting God become a part of your life during that day. Whether it's a need that's going on in your life, we talk about how God has been able to overcome barriers as a sin in your life, God's been able to overcome sin, or you just want to draw closer to the Lord because He is our reward. We've mentioned that every single week. God is your reward. The reading of God's Word, we don't just read it because we enjoy reading it. We read it because He is our reward, and He is a rewarder of those who love Him. We spend time in prayer with Him because He is our reward. Not just all the people looking, oh, Dave's so spiritual standing up here and praying, or so and so so spiritual standing up here and praying. No, we get together and we pray because He is our reward, and we want to know Him. We fast because we want to know Him. And today we're talking about number four. We're talking about extravagant giving. And how God can really use this in our lives. If He is truly our reward and He is truly our rewarder, 
He uses this in our lives to allow us to become the conduit of His generosity in the world. He becomes our, we become His conduit. We don't just come to church and enjoy coming to church on Sunday mornings. We don't just go to our small groups and enjoy going to our small groups. We do that because we want to be a conduit of His love to this world. As we worked overseas for 20 years, working in China, North Korea, and South Korea, we became to understand that we were, especially in North Korea and China, that we were in many ways the only Bible some of those people were ever going to read or have an opportunity to read up to that point, especially in North Korea. That as they interacted with us, as they heard the words out of our mouth, as they watched Regina and I interact together as husband and wife, they began to understand the love of God within us. And they began to see the love of God in us. And they really baffled, especially the North Koreans, it really baffled them. That why would this American family come over here? Why would they drag their kids across the world? Why would they go and go and, and spend money in a country and spend time and energy in a country doing something for people who hated them? And really... As, as we began to live among them and talk among them, and began, they began to see and recognize that it was not just us feeling guilty because of our wealth or because of whatever other crime that they, we wanted to feel guilty about. We came over there to invest in them. They really began to realize it was because of the love of Christ within us that we became this, became this conduit of God's love to them. And this generosity that we speak of, it's not just a financial generosity, though that is definitely a part of it. It's not just a time generosity, though that's a part of it. It's also our, our time, our talent, our treasure. It's all those things combined together. We become a conduit of God's love to reach this world. The world teaches that we should think about ourselves. It's me first. Me, myself, and I are the three most important people in this world. That I am all there is. My selfishness and all that my needs are to be foremost in what I ought to meet. We're, we, we, we're taught that from the time we're very young. We, we, it becomes a part of us from the time we're very young. As Miss Stephanie's got a new baby back here. That baby is crying, feed me, feed me, change me, change me. One in the morning, two in the morning, three in the morning, every hour on the hour, feed me, change me. And grandma and grandpa don't go and help, do they? Dan says, nope, I've been there, done that. From the very beginning, we see this selfishness within our society, within our culture. We are born in sin. Kids are wonderful, kids are precious, but they are selfish little creatures. My kids want to eat three times a day, can you believe it? Dad, feed me. It doesn't stop when they get older. When they come home from college, Dad, feed me. Mom, do my laundry. We are selfish creatures. There's a reason why in Scripture, when you look around, you find there's about 500 verses in Scripture on faith. There are about 500 verses in Scripture on prayer. But you know how many there are in Scripture talking about our finances and money? About 2,300. 
There's more verses in Scripture talking about finances and money and how we handle that and how we implement it in our world and the system. And there is even on God and His love. See, because God understands, and He understands human culture because He created us, and He understands our nature because He created it. He understands the sin nature because He created Satan who brought it into our lives, right? Not God's ideal, not His perfect will for us, but it's now here and He understands it. He understands what drives us in, and He understands that it's selfishness. And we want to hoard every little bit that we have and keep it just for myself. Instead of allowing ourselves and being open and generous and giving of ourselves to others, we want to keep it all to ourselves. Money and possessions control us. And contrary to popular opinion, which, have you ever heard that? Contrary to popular opinion, contrary to popular opinion, popular opinion is often wrong, isn't it? Generosity is not evil. Generosity is not optional. For our lives and for us, generosity is not optional. If you are a child of God, made in the image of God, it is not optional. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. The fall of man. Adam and Eve ate of that wonderful fruit on the tree. Fell in sin. What did God do? At that moment... He gave his son. At that moment, he gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the first verse that many of us ever learned in Sunday school or Awanas or VBS. That's, that verse is stuck with us all throughout our whole lives. We learn that. It's ingrained in us. But it goes back. It's not just in John 3.16. Jesus didn't just say it in the Gospel of John. God said it back in Genesis chapter 3. I will give my son. I'm giving my son because of you and your selfishness. See, God extravagantly, extravagantly gave to his creation, to us, so that we might enjoy that relationship with Him again. If the, and we are made in His image, and that extravagant giving, that extravagant generosity is such a part of His nature, it should also be a part of our nature. It should also be a part of who we are as children of God, reclaiming that nature again. St. Corinthians 8, 7 says, Since you excel in so many ways, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. Kind of sounds like us, right? Because we excel in our faith, our gifted speakers, our knowledge of his word, our enthusiasm. Paul says, I want you to also excel in the gracious act of giving. Now he was taking up an offering for, the, for Israel. He was taking up an offering for some needs that were there. But he says, don't ignore this one aspect of your walk with Christ. 
Don't ignore this. Yes, you have great knowledge of who God is. You have, you have some great speakers who, who can expound on God's Word. And they stand up here and they look good and they smell good and they, could, they are all that. You have an enthusiasm to get out there and reach your community for Christ. But don't deny the act of giving. That is also a part of who we should be. So let's take a look at that this morning as we look at this idea of extravagant generosity. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at these acts of righteousness. I'm going to go back and read verses 1 through 4 first and then jump down to the text for this first point. Jesus is saying here in Acts, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. For when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in streets, that you may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And look at this. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's our reward for giving? What's our reward for being faithful in our giving? What's our reward for being generous people? God. God is our reward. You go into your secret, into your private room to pray. Nobody else can see you. Nobody else can hear you. Who is your reward for doing that? God's your reward. What's your reward for spending time in God's Word? What's your reward for learning about Him, about His character, about who He is? God is our reward. What's your reward when you go into fasting? When you don't stand out there in the street corners going, Oh, my stomach. Oh, what's wrong? I'm fasting today. What's your reward? God is your reward. He is the one who rewards us. Same here with our giving. Jump down to verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You ever gone back and looked at your checkbook or your bank statement and you look at some of the frivolous stuff that we bought? You ever been ashamed of some of the frivolous stuff you bought? I have. I look back at why did I waste three bucks on those cheeseburgers? Why did I spend my money on that? Why did I go to this place and spend? I know my car's got to get down the road, but why, does it really have to look that good to spend $25 on a car wash? I've never spent $25 on a car wash, just want you to know that. My kids want to charge me $25 when they wash my car. But you ever gone back and you looked seriously at your bank statement or your credit card statement or, and you're going, did I really need that? Because where we spend our money, where we invest our treasure, that is where we are going to invest our hearts. Let me say that again. Where you invest your money, where you invest your treasure, that is where you are investing your heart. Because we find great value, we find importance in what's inside these, this wallet and what we, where we spend stuff on our credit card. 
We find value in that. We're gonna, what we value, we're going to spend money on. I value my kids. I spend money on my kids. I treasure my wife. I will spend money. She says, honey, I think we ought to... Oh, yes, honey, what would you like to buy? I think our backyard... Yes, another tree, another tree, another shrub, another whatever. Yeah, whatever you like, honey. I treasure my wife. We have missionaries coming through here and imploring and saying, we're trying to get to the field. We're trying to get to the field. We're trying to stay on the field. We've got a new project coming up. We've got a school we're building. That's something else we're doing. And they come and they, they present it before us. And we go, yes, I want to support what you're doing. We support 30-some-odd missionary families in our church. And every month we're getting ready, to, getting ready to raise their support because we treasure what they're doing. We want to invest and be a part of them, what their God's doing through them around the world. Because we, again, we are God's conduits of His love. And this is a way to share and become a greater conduit around the world. The little pamphlet in your bulletin. Pull it out and take a look at it with me for a second. The book came out a few years ago called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. I encourage you to get a copy. I have summarized it here for you. So if you want the Cliff Notes version, it's right there. Six keys. Number one, God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. Think about that for a minute. We don't own squat. If we are a child of God and he is our king, he is the king of kings and he is our king, he's our Lord, he's our savior, he owns all that we have. He owns not just our church, he owns my clothes, he owns my car, he owns everything that's in my bank account. He owns all the food that's on my shelves. He owns it all. It's not mine. I have been given opportunity to manage it for him to get it out to the world. Number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. Watch what happens when you reallocate your money from temporal things to eternal things. Think about it. Our missionaries here, I pray for our missionaries because I give to our missionaries. And we're involved, we're invested in their lives, and I email them on a regular basis because I'm invested in what they're doing. I'm engaged in their ministries, even though they may be in Nicaragua or El Salvador or Argentina or the Middle East or Africa or Asia. We're engaged in and they're important to us because I'm giving to them. The ministries that happen here at the church, we give to God's causes here, and we're in, taking interest in what happens here. Number three, Heaven, the new earth, not the present one, that is my home. This is not my home, thankfully. I look forward one day to going home. I look forward one day to meeting God face to face, sitting at his feet and singing his praises and, for the, and going into the mansion that he's building for me, even if it may be a little hovel in the ground, because I'll be where he is. This is not my home. Number four, I should live today, not for the dot, but for the line. See, from the dot, our present life extends as a line that goes on forever to eternity in heaven. You don't live for the present right now. Always looking forward the future, what God is doing, what God is doing, what God is doing, and looking forward to eternity. Number five, giving is only an antidote to material is the only antidote to materialism. Our world is so caught up. I mean, think about 
Christmas time. We just came out of Christmas time. When did they start putting Christmas stuff up in the stores? July? August? September, if we're lucky? Materialism is so rampant in our society, not just American society, it's around the world. Buy, 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 more, 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 stuff, stuff, stuff. The Denver flea market, the old commercial, where the, where the, where the stuff come to get unstuffed and get restuffed. You go there to unload your stuff and then you buy more stuff because we got to have more and more stuff in our houses to show how stuffed we are. Number six, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. All these companies that are, have been touted recently for they're giving these $1,000 bonuses to all their employees. Imagine if each and every one of those employees had an eternal kingdom mindset and said, God has blessed me with this thousand bucks not to be spent on myself, but so I can turn around and use it in his kingdom. How many millions of dollars would that be that could go into God's kingdom around the world, what he is doing and the impact he's wanting to make in our communities around the world if we didn't just think about ourselves? See, he might be blessing you right now, giving you a better job, giving you a raise. He blesses us so that we can increase our standard of giving to give it out, so we can give of ourselves to more and more people in our communities around the world. He doesn't just bless us so that we can go out and buy something new. He doesn't just bless us so that we can add another five pounds to our waistline. He doesn't just bless us so that we can breathe easy. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing. Grasp that today. That's the treasure principle. I want to encourage you to go get that book. Read it. And learn these principles. So remember, God's first act of righteousness was giving His Son to us. He gave His Son to us. It didn't appear until about 2,000 years ago. But the act of giving took place in Genesis 3. We are called little Christ, Christians, little Christ, followers of Christ. And if we are made in God's image, giving of ourselves should be of first importance as well. Psalm 37 verse 21 says, The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Proverbs 21 so some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Does this exemplify you today? As a child of God, is this you? Are you one who wants to give of yourself, to give of your finances, to give whatever you can to help those around us? See, I find that the closer I get to God, the more generous I become. When I, spend a little, when I take off a little time and I get away from God's word, What's the first thing that shows up in my life? I'm not nearly as generous. I don't give nearly as much. When I'm in God's Word and I'm spending time in His Word and I'm spending time in prayer with Him, I don't look at my paycheck and go, okay, I made this much this, this week, move that decimal place, and that's what I'm giving in the offering this week. It becomes not an issue at all to round it up and round it up and round it up because 10% is just the suggestion 
The tithe is just a suggestion. It's the first place. It's the first suggestion that God says, bring your tithes to the storehouse, he said in Malachi chapter 3. That's that first little bit. And as you draw closer to God, you're going to become more and more and more giving and generous with your tithes and your offerings. You're not even going to blink. It's not going to be, oh, do I really? It's like, you're just going to give. There's a need, I'll give. Somebody's got a problem, I'm going to give. The closer you come to God, the more generous you become. There's a story that's been told one day of a beggar by the roadside asking for alms from Alexander the Great as he passed by. Alexander, please, I need help. Alexander reaches into his pocket and he pulls out some gold coins and hands them to the beggar. The beggar's amazed. Alexander the Great took notice of me. He goes down, he says thank you, and goes down the road. One of the courtiers, one of Alexander the Great's servants, said, Alexander, he would have been happy with bronze coins. Why did you give him gold coins? He would have been just fine with the bronze coins and been happy that what you had given to him, the pennies in our culture. Alexander the Great says, you're right. He would have been happy with bronze coins. They would have suited the beggar's need, but gold coins suited my need. See, what we give tells more about our character tells about more about our nature than the nature of the need. When we give and what we give tells more about us than about the need we're giving to. We've had some missionaries come through here and I know that Dr. Reichman came through recently and I asked for volunteers to step up and address envelopes and some of y'all have been doing that and that's great, that's awesome. That's a need that they're always going to have. Those who have taken part in that, it tells a lot about you and your character. Those who, who say, they look at the needs from the other missionaries who come through and they're like, we want to give. And they'll, get, they'll, they'll walk in. I've had missionaries, pastor, somebody gave me a check. Somebody gave me cash. Somebody, and two or three people walk up and they just slip cash in their, in their pockets. And we were always taught as missionaries, when you go to a church or somebody gives you, hands you money outside of what the church gives you, you always offer to give that back to the church. And so and I, we, I don't have them do that. I say, no, if somebody wanted to bless you with 100 bucks, somebody wanted to bless you with 20 bucks, somebody wanted to bless you with $500, you keep it. Because that is my people being generous and giving above and beyond the call. That tells me a lot about the character of our church and the people in our church, that we have a very giving church that we give to needs around us we give to the community needs around us we give to our missionaries needs around us because I am a spiritual descendant of Jesus Christ the king of kings I am a generous giver that's why I give that is the only reason I give because he is my king And I am descended spiritually from him. The more I draw closer to Jesus, the more I draw closer to God, the more generous I become.
Number two, generosity also helps us to avoid the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money. Money is not a problem. You know, Jesus never, when he, he looked at the, when he went back in, in Matthew chapter 6 and he saw the, the Pharisees walking through and dropping the coins in the, in, in the offering bucket, he, he never told them, don't give. Don't give alms. Don't drop money in the offering. Don't, don't do your acts of righteousness. He criticized their motivation, not their acts. It wasn't the act of giving that Jesus criticized. It was their motivation behind it. Walking up to the big metal urn and dropping all their coins in so everybody would notice how much they were giving. And then the one little widow walks up there and slips her one little coin into the bin. People sneered. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody else because her heart was in the right place. See, when we give, helps us to flee from this love of money that is so dangerous in our society and in our culture. Prosperity theology in many churches teaches that we give so that we can get from God. It teaches us to live now as kings instead of servants of the Most High. That God wants us all to be healthy and wealthy. Not in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that. He teaches us to give so that we can get in the future, not now. He teaches us to give and to lay up our treasures in heaven because that's where our true reward is with Him. When we were working in North Korea, we, as you know, we put up these wind turbines in North Korea, helped to set up the first commercial wind farm. None of us on our team had extra money laying around. We didn't have 10000 20000 100000 We didn't have a million dollars laying around. There was a gentleman. We'll call him Alan. A gentleman that heard about our project. And out of his own pockets, gave over half a million dollars. Very successful businessman. He went around, talked to some other successful businessmen who were very kingdom-minded, and together they came up with about $1.5 million. So we could buy four wind turbines. We could get them refitted, put them on some container ships, ship them to North Korea, haul them up to the top of this mountain, Stand them up and watch them go. We missionaries didn't have that money. See, when you view your resources as God's resources and God presents you with a need, it's no problem. How big do you want a check to be, God? How much do you want me to give? How much do you want me to be involved? In fact, these gentlemen, they didn't just give their money. They didn't just give from the check. They came and helped. 
One of the engineers took six weeks off of work to come and help us pour foundations because the concrete's got to be a certain kind of concrete and it's got to be, you have so many rebar in there and I, beyond me, I'm, I was just a Bible student. I was a youth pastor in college. That's what I was studying. I was studying to know how to throw pizza parties. I didn't understand concrete and rebar. Pizza doesn't hold, a, hold up real well in that. just want you to know. I know from experience. These engineers came over there and they gave of their time and their energy and their vacation time to come and pour into us and the concrete. They poured the concrete into us so that we could put these turbines up. The owners of the company came and they toured around and they wanted to see and they wanted to Examine. They began to pray for us, and, be, and they became active parts in praying for what was God was doing over there to help the people in North Korea. They brought back some of our missionaries, put them to work in the fields here in America so they could learn how to maintain the turbines. Because changing, obviously changing oil on a turbine is different than changing oil on a car, they found out. especially when you're up at 150 feet. <laughs> Put them to work, paid them a salary, trained them, sent them back. Having a kingdom mindset. Giving of themselves. These men, these women, money did not consume them. In fact, one of these men who owns one of the largest crane companies in America I just read this week, he and his brother, extremely wealthy. Their company is extremely successful. They have committed all of the profits for the company to use, be used in God's service. They're drawing a salary, but as the owners of the company, that's all they get. They are not taking any of the profits from their company. 100% goes back into God's service. Can you imagine the kingdom mindset and how that somebody must have? We, we, I, I look at my life and I'm like, my credit card bill's here, my credit card bill's here. I got all these other little bills going around, medical bills and stuff. And I'm consumed sometimes by these little things. That's one of the reasons why we, when God deals with money because we can get so consumed with what's going on in our lives we forget the kingdom purposes that are out there we forget what God wants to do with us and through us to be a blessing around the world and we allow these things that consume us and consume our minds because when we are consumed with the things of this world we cannot be consumed with the things of God I love that Dame Ramsey talks about staying out of getting out of debt and staying out of debt. Getting out of debt and staying out of debt. Getting out of debt and staying out of debt. I love that our church is not in debt. That these buildings we're getting ready to put on the ground over here, we paid cash for. This building we bought two years ago, we paid cash for. Because of the sacrifice of hundreds of people that have come into this church before us. A lot of us are new in the Mountain States. Some are in our church right now. We've been around for 30, 40 years. This year, our church is 60 years old. And we are reaping the benefits of those who sacrificed 60 and 50 years ago. 
who had kingdom mindsets, had kingdom purposes and realized that they're giving not just for what I can get right here and right now, but they're giving for an eternal purpose, an eternal cause. So then, the question is how? How do we give? How do we give? Matthew chapter 6, we go back there. I read it a minute ago. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you give, give to the needy. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised. They have received the rewards. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that you may be given, may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the key right there. See, the person who thinks the money he makes is meant mainly to increase his comforts on earth is a fool, Jesus says. Wise people know that all their money belongs to God and should be used to show that God and not money is their treasure, their comfort, their joy, and their security. We take no, there's no security here. There's temporary peace found here. The real peace, the real joy, the real security is way down there. We have to maintain and keep an eternal mindset on all that we do. We can't be selfish with our time, our talents, or our treasures. We have to always keep an eternal mindset. So how do we give then? Very quickly, let's talk about how not to give. Don't do it for show. We just read that in Matthew chapter 6. You don't do it for show. Dropping all your coins into the bucket so people can see. You do it so only God can see and so only God knows. You don't give out of guilt. Ron Blue says, Satan will try to steal the joy of giving by whispering to us messages of guilt. I love Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you give as God directs. You don't give out of guilt. Oh, the poor person, I feel so guilty because I have so much and they have so nothing, and therefore I'm going to give. Did God direct you to give? Did God direct you to go over? There are some people, I'm driving down the road, I typically don't give a lot to beggars on the streets, but occasionally as I'm driving and pulling up to a light, God very clearly directs me, give to this person. God, really? Give. Sometimes it's to benefit that person. Sometimes it's for me. Because God knows in my heart, I'm getting a little selfish. And I want to keep what I got. So sometimes it's so I can give and realize that it's not about me. We don't give out of guilt. We give out of obedience. Thirdly, Satan will try to kill our desires when we believe and the lie that our finances are just too tight to give anything. That's very tempting, isn't it? We look at our checkbook, we look at our, our bank statements, we look at our balance sheet, and we go, 
I just can't give this month. It's just too tight. Do you know what I believe? I believe that God can do more with your 90% than you can do with 100%. God can do more with your 90% or your 85% than you can do with 100%. He can stretch it longer, He can stretch it further, and He can impact more people. We can't let our balance sheet determine our level of giving. Because I love Psalm 50, for the beast of the forest is mine, and so is the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> when you come to understand that God owns it all, God owns it all, and God owns you, we are his bondservants. We are his slaves. We are his to be used by him and for him to be his conduits of grace and joy and love throughout this world. Are we letting him use us? So how do we respond? How to give? Firstly, we give out of a sense of gratitude. We give out of a sense of gratitude because of what God has done for us. He gave His only Son. He gave His one and only Son for you and I. We give out of a sense of gratitude. When God asked the nation of Israel to give to support, to build a tabernacle in the temple, they gave and they gave and they gave and they gave and they gave until God would say, stop! That's enough! We've got enough come in to take care of all the needs of the tabernacle. What would it be like if the children of God had that attitude? Or God would say, stop! That's good! That's enough! Instead, it's like pulling teeth. We give out of an attitude of gratitude. Secondly, we give out of a sense of obedience. The basic instruction in Malachi chapter 3 is to support your local place of worship out of obedience, that tithe, that 10%. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10 says, Will you rob, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says Lord of hosts. Put me to the test if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessing until there is no more need. When we give, we come to understand that it's all God's anyway. He's, he's just, we're just managing it for him. It's no problem giving back. It's no problem when God says, there's this need. Sure, God, how much? Because I know that God's going to take care of me next week. I know that God's going to take care of me next month. I know that God's going to take care of me this year and next year and the year after that. I know that God's going to take care of me in retirement because I, I serve an awesome God. I serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I serve a God who is wealthier than what was it? Jeff Bezos, I think, is the wealthiest person in the world right now. He owns it all. 
He owns 100% of all the stock and all the companies and all the oil in the ground. He owns every tree. He owns every rock. He owns every planet. He owns us. Will we be obedient to give when he tells us to? Lastly, and I'll close with this, we give out of lifestyle of faith. This should be the one Yes, we give out obedience. Yes, we give out of gratitude. But everything we do ought to be a step and a walk in faith. Romans 14.23 says, Everything that is not of faith is sin. If I'm giving out a guilt, and it's not of faith, it's a sin. Do you know that you can give and then not be blessed by God? even if you're giving to a good cause. Everything we give, everything we do, needs to be a step of faith. Think about Elisha. When Elijah called him, he found him, he was plowing in the fields. Elijah walks up, says, you can be the next prophet of Israel. Elisha, the very next thing he did, he slaughtered his oxes, oxen, excuse me, my bad grammars, He slaughtered his oxen, chopped up his plows and burned them and cooked his oxen on top and then threw a feast and said, I'm going to go serve the Lord. Walked out of his job in faith because he trusted and believed that God had his back. Do you really believe that God has your back this morning? Do you believe that God, this God of the universe who has called you to something special, something great, does not really have your back? He does. He's got us. How much are we willing to really trust God this morning? It's a telltale sign. Do our acts of righteousness Make sure we're doing it out of obedience, doing it out of gratitude. But in all that we do, we do it as an act of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.